This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. today as we read, read, uh, lead us in reading as we read Mark. So let's stand together. We're continuing in the book of Mark together. Thank you. It's a joy and a blessing to serve you all. I love it. Today we'll be reading uh, Mark 23 through 3, 1 through 6. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of the grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you ever read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and he watched Jesus to see what he would, if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Well, I am excited to be uh, once again back in the book of Mark. We took a little break for Palm Sunday and Easter. And can you just do me a favor and give a hand to all of those who served for Holy Week? They gave a lot of time. And my goodness, what an incredible time. Um, and so we're back here in Mark, and I put a massive sign up just so you don't forget what book we're in all year, the book of Mark. When you come in, it will remind you, turn to the book of Mark in lights, okay? And if your name is Mark, you can come up and get a, a picture by it so they can be like, look, everybody's talking about me. Um, but we are, we're continuing in this book, and what I want to make sure to do is to remind us that our approach really matters when it comes to Scripture. I'm going to keep reminding of the, us of this because how we approach Scripture, the heart in which we approach Scripture is very important. As we read, as we study, as we learn, we want our hearts to be right. We want our ears to be open, right? We're not approaching this just as a, a, a list of systematic teachings in which we're trying to kind of uh, dig deep into just learning something to get head knowledge. Although there is so much to learn, it's not just about head knowledge. Also, this is not a rule book, so we're not just coming to God's Word to find a list of rules in which we need to follow in order to earn some eternal reward. It's also not some kind of practical advice where we're like, man, I just want to find out how to live a good life, so let me find practical advice. This is a story. This story is the true story of all the world, and in this story, what we're going to primarily see is who God is. 
the main character, the, the point of this whole thing, the, the truth, the life, and, and how he has unfolded this perfect redemptive plan. And so when we read through Mark, it is a part of a grand narrative, but it's also written in narrative form. And, and as Mark is writing this, he's not just giving snippets of kind of uh, raw footage of, of who Jesus was. He's wanting us to see uh, very clearly things revealed about God. There's intentional teaching, preaching that needs to be taken from uh, the book of Mark. And what we've seen over the last weeks uh, as we've been studying Mark is that the kingdom of God is what is being announced in this. The kingdom of God is, is very clearly being announced and Jesus is the king. And what we're seeing is that he is this son of God that this world has been longing for and waiting for and he's coming in and announcing that the one you've been waiting for is here and they're not seeing it. But he's also showing us what his kingdom is like. That there's no evil and no sickness and that his kingdom is opposite of the kingdoms of this world. And even as he rises in popularity, we see that he's not pursuing power and popularity like all other kingdoms. We see that he himself has come to do a great work. Now, as we look at this book, what I want us to remember last time as we came together, we talked about all religions claiming the same thing. And I'll put them up on the screen because I want you to see what these religions claim. All religions, all worldview claim the same thing. One, they claim to be true. They claim to be authoritative. They claim to be communal. And when I say communal, they call a people to embody the message that they say is true. And they they claim to be religious. Now, what we mean by religious, not in a negative sense, but in a, in a true religious sense, they, they, we want to commit. We're centered our lives around it, and we commit to it. Now, just because all worldviews, all religions claim to be true, claim to be authoritative, claim to be communal, and claim to have a religious element to it or a commitment that is needed, what we have to see is that the message in which comes through King Jesus and of his kingdom is confronting all other kingdoms of this world, all other religions of this world. We saw this happen last time we got together, but we really see this happen today as you hear Ken reading these two scriptures about the Sabbath, these two stories in which the Sabbath takes. And what we saw last time is that Jesus is establishing, and we saw this in Mark 2, he's establishing a community that's built on his righteousness and not our righteousness. That's good news. Can the church say amen to that? It's built on Christ's righteousness and not ours. But what else we saw was that Jesus is establishing a new religion and that new religion is built on love and being near to him. We learned that in the last stories that we studied. But today what we're going to do is continue as the book of Mark continues and see what is this new religion, if you will, what does this new commitment actually look like? Because Jesus wants us to see as he comes into this world and announces the kingdom, he wants us to see that although all these religions and kingdoms claim to have the same claims, there is extreme differences that we must acknowledge. 
So when we approach Scripture, what we're trying to see here is not only um, how, what is God trying to say, but what is he revealing about himself? Now, here's what I, I want to do as we approach this today. One, I want us to learn from it for sure. I want us to learn and I want God to show us our hearts and I want our spirits to be awakened to some things that maybe we need to repent of and live in light of. But what I don't want us to miss, because we can easily do this as we approach Scripture, because a lot of times we come and say, okay, Lord, give me today what I need to learn rather than show me who you are. You get that? We're often more concerned about what we need to do and what we need to learn than knowing more and seeing more about who he is. His character, his life, his rule, his reign. Often our focus, even in approaching scripture, comes down to, God, just tell me what I need to do today. Give me some practical advice. Help me with areas of my life. Help me walk through this. Show me these kinds of things rather than approaching it saying, God, show us who you are. Church, don't let, that, don't let that seep deep into our hearts. Although we can learn so many things, let us long to see and know who Jesus is. Let us deeply long for that. So what I'm going to do in the first part of this is kind of focus in on some amazing things about what Jesus is revealing about himself. I would say the primary focus of this text is about who Jesus is and what he's revealing about himself. In the first story, I think it's not, both stories are incredible. But you see Jesus going through the grain fields on the Sabbath, which was a very holy day. And here's how I want you to kind of picture this. Instead of the Pharisees being pictured as kind of church pastors and leaders, although that's kind of the main way that they're uh, framed, I want you to think of the religion of the time more like a political party, if you will. And the leaders of that, the Pharisees, are like the political leaders of that time. And so the reason why I want you to see it that way is because inside of this, what they've done is they've hijacked God and made God attack on to their political agenda. Much like what we do in our country, right? Uh, we t every political party believes that God is at the center of their political party. And they try to fit Jesus even at the center of it. And so you see the Democrats and the Republicans and the Tea Party. You see all these people kind of saying, no, Jesus really blesses our party. And, and inside of this country, I think we're the worst at this. We love to take our systems of government and structure and our systems and formula and we love to take God and try and fit it inside of that. But what Jesus is showing is he doesn't come into political systems or parties or religious systems and fit in very well. Matter of fact, he really does tear down those systems. And, and even though they take practical things and biblical based and all these kinds of things and these kinds of words, there really is a a thing that he's trying to reveal to us. And so he's walking on Sabbath, which Sabbath, Sabbath had become more than just what God had intended it to become. It had become kind of a flagship for who they were. It had become their identity. And if you didn't follow it with these certain ways, I mean, there was so many rules for how to follow Sabbath. And so him and his disciples 
are walking, and, and imagine this, if, the, if you can, I mean, just the story kind of goes, if you picture that they're just doing the work of the Lord. Jesus is out on Sabbath doing the work of his father and his disciples, and they hadn't eaten, and they reach out to grab grain to eat. And Pharisees are watching them. They're watching them not because uh, they're just out policing everybody to follow the Sabbath, but because Jesus is making such a splash, they're trying to get a smear campaign. You get this? They're trying to find things wrong about Jesus and his disciples, and so they see him pick grain and eat it. And at that time then, the Pharisees go to Jesus and say, why are they doing what is, law, what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, I think this is incredible because if you remember, the Pharisees, when Jesus was doing something that they didn't like, they went to the disciples. But when the disciples are doing something they didn't like, they went to Jesus. <laughs> I love how those who uh, are trying to build smear campaigns can never actually go to the person, right? They always go to the other to try to cause division. And so they go to build this smear campaign, and Jesus gives the most incredible answer. He always does. He blows my mind with the answers he gives. And the answer that he gives is not defending them eating or not even saying what they did was right or wrong. What he does is he gives an illustration of David. Now, you you cannot let this irony be lost. The reason why he's using David is because they loved David. That was their dude, right? That was their man. They, they loved using David as their, as their big, it's like Ronald Reagan for us, right? If you're a Republican, you're a Reagan Republican, right? If you're a Jew, you're like, this is King David, right? But Jesus takes King David and he uses him as an example. And the example that he uses is the time where King David had been anointed as king, but he hadn't been enthroned as king. So he was anointed as king, but he hadn't been enthroned as king. And David was out trying to basically, um, uh, basically live his life between that time of being anointed as king and, and, and the time when he was enthroned as king. And when he was out, he went out because his people were his his men were hungry, and he went into the temple and he ate the bread that only the priests were going to eat. Now this is an interesting thing. Because Jesus compares himself to a king, his king, a man after God's own heart. He compares himself to David who's anointed to be king but not is enthroned as king and puts himself in that place and announces himself in this illustration as the king who's anointed as king but not yet enthroned. That's a powerful statement. And believe me, it wouldn't have been lost on them. He is making a major claim at this point. Jesus is saying to them, listen, I am king. I'm anointed as king, but not yet enthroned. And not, I'm not going to be like David following the Jewish rules. And the reason why he didn't have to follow the Jews, because it was a sign of who he was. 
This was incredible because what he's saying is me and my disciples not following these Jewish rules that you've laid out is to you a sign of who I am. In this, he's not just trying to rebel against the system. He's in this act revealing who he is. See, often when we don't, we don't get Jesus to fit within a system in which we think he needs to, what he's really trying to do is not just rebel. He wants us to see who he is. What he's doing in this is revealing he is the king, anointed king. And he's revealing this very, very clearly. So first we need to see who is Jesus and what is he revealing. And then in the second story, He goes into, on the Sabbath day, into the temple, and this part just blows my mind. There's someone sick in the temple, but because of Jewish law, he could not heal them. This is mind-boggling. If someone is sick, he couldn't heal them because that would take some sort of effort. And so he comes into the temple... And they're watching to accuse him to see if he's going to heal. And I love how he responds. Once again, if I could respond like Jesus, there's so much beauty in what he says. What he says to them is, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life? Or to kill. And then it says they were silent. They couldn't even respond to it. But as they watch him heal, what does it say? They leave and plan to destroy him. He's not just saying, hey, are you telling me it's good to heal and and not to do evil? Listen, it wasn't lost on them that what he was saying is, you're going to get on to me for healing someone in the temple, a place of healing, while you in your hearts and minds are plotting to destroy me, to kill me. That you're not good. Let me get this straight. You're not good with someone being healed, but you're okay with plotting, killing the Son of God. I mean, can you imagine the audacity to look out on someone who is bringing healing, hope, and restoration, and while you're plotting their destruction, you're judging them as they heal and restore What does this show us? Jesus wasn't just saying, let me heal the guy. What was he doing? He was revealing once again, I can see your hearts. I know every one of your works. Something only God would know. He's revealing in the statement, which is why they had to shut their mouths. (laughs) I love how Jesus can say one thing and go, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah. I love this because in these two illustrations, what he's showing in this is more than just follow the rules, although we're going to see it. But, but what we have to understand is what he's revealing through this. First, he's revealing that he is the anointed king, come to be enthroned and to reveal to us the truth of his word and laws. And second, we see the beauty of 
that God, he is God, and he sees and knows the heart. And he has come to confront our systems of belief. And, and if we miss those things, then here's what we will miss. What we will miss is this, that Jesus is revealing himself as the true Sabbath rest. He's revealing himself as the true Sabbath rest. And in him, you will find restoration and healing. In him is where you will find what you need, where you've been trying to find it in other things. It is in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment and the truth of the Sabbath rest. He's revealing that he is what has been missing. In that system. It's a beautiful revelation of who Jesus is. Now as we learn about who Jesus is. I think what's important for us. In stories like this. Is is to see who Jesus is. And to allow his spirit. To come in and check our hearts if you will. And ask the questions that should be asked. So what is it that we can learn, not only from how Jesus revealed himself, but how religion responds to this? Let me me, uh, say this. A religion built on commitment to God's word and heart, not on man's formula, is what we see here. Here's what we should learn, and here's what should confront us, that God is revealing to us this pure religion, this true religion. Remember, we talked about the religion that he revealed to us before was based on his presence and based on love with him and closeness to him, and now he's showing us that true religion is built on commitment to God's word and a heart, and the heart not on man-made formula. Not on man-made formula. Here's what we end up seeing taking place here. And I think this is up on, um, on a slide next. That we tend to pervert God's gifts by using them to criticize and control. We tend to use God's gifts by using them to criticize and control. Here's what we have to see because this is an amazing thing. When you talk about the Sabbath, Sabbath, you remember how Jesus responded to them that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What an incredible response. What he was showing them is that God made Sabbath for Adam in paradise and then he renewed the Sabbath on Mount Sinai to Israel and it was made for all mankind, not just for Jews only, but the whole family of Adam. It was made for human benefit and happiness. It was for good of their bodies, for their minds, and for the good of their souls. It was given as a Blessing, not as a burden. The original institution of Sabbath was given so that we could reflect God. See, everything that we do is meant to reflect God. God, when he created all things, took a day of rest. The seventh day, he rested. 
And then he called us into that rest and to reflect him in creation and that creation could rest. That way we wouldn't get to the place where we're just working and working and working and working and spinning our wheels and not remembering that this is all not hinged upon our works. It is hard for many of us to stop working. And the reason why it's so hard for us to stop working is not because we just want to make more money. We think if we stop, everything's going to fall apart. So God built into his creation this place for us to not only just rest and enjoy, but to remember and trust. This Sabbath rest was an amazing gift from God. But just like any gift that God gives, what we try to do is pervert it and explain how to do Sabbath rest rather than the heart of Sabbath rest. Here, my, my best example is this. We always love telling people what to do, but we do not like explaining why they need to do it. I mean, just take a small example of having some children. If you have some, you understand this. Do this, do this, do this. And they love to ask the famous question, what is it? Why? Everybody, if you have kids, you know. Why? And my best answer is because I said so. There is your why. Why? Because I would rather just sit there and say, do this, do this, do this. And when they ask why, the audacity that they would need to know why. And this is what ends up happening. That they take a, a beautiful gift and pervert it by making it just a work. And the way that it is taught is not the why and understanding the heart of God, but it's giving a list of rules in which need to take place. So here's how you celebrate Sabbath and you embed it into the system of laws and you say, here's how you do it and you can't touch this and you can't do this and you can't pick grain and you can't heal and you can't do And all of a sudden within your practical advice of how you should celebrate the Sabbath, you destroy the Sabbath. You destroy the Sabbath. Let me try and give examples to this because this is important for us to understand. We love to make teachings practical. Now, there's a good side to that, but there is a very dangerous side to that. We love to make teachings practical. And we love to just kind of go, let's tell people what it is that they need to do. What we like to do is make formulas. Here's a formula in which you need to follow. And if you follow this formula, it means you have this. Because we love to make formulas and we like to make these perfect, clean mathematical equations, we have a hard time understanding the heart of the gospel. 
Let me give an example. I went and was invited to preach at a youth group, and they invited me to talk about sex in the youth group. Now, I work at CPC. It's not just because I'm an expert at sex, but it's because I work at an organization which goes around and teaches on uh, the subject. And so they invited me to come in. And at this, uh, at this youth group, I decided, listen, the best way to talk about sex is not to come into a room filled with teenagers and show slides of STDs. But the best way for me to come into a group of teenagers who profess to believe the gospel is to elevate Jesus and to show them that a great affection for Christ will lead them to following him and serving them and giving their bodies to him. So I started talking about Jesus and the beauty of who he was and how he sacrificed his life and gave himself for us and that what the lie of, 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 sexual, uh, of sexual promiscuity and the lies that are there and showing us that the answer to those lies is the truth which is only found in Jesus and the way that we can overcome our sexual desires is not by trying to hate them but by loving Jesus. You're like, that's too simple. Well, so the youth pastor saw the same thing. And after I got done, there was many people at the altar who were crying and crying out to the Lord that their hearts and minds would be affected. And she came up angry. I, she came up angry and she said, listen, kids, sit back down. This whole loving Jesus thing, that's a good idea, but you need more than that. It was the most embarrassing moment, not, not just because of she was contradicting everything I was saying, but because I was worried for the souls of these kids. What she began to do was lay out everything she thought I was missing. Loving Jesus is not enough. You need to control your cell phones and put blocks on your internet, and you need to do this, 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 and you need to bit all these restrictions and all these things, and here's how you do it, and here's what. She, she invited me in, but she, she had her own plan, and she made sure that that was laid out. And listen, I'm not against any of those things if they are helpful, but none of those things change the heart none of those things change the heart you see we think like that often yeah loving Jesus is nice but there has to be more how do I know this because people come all the time I, I'll tell you examples I, I'm, I'm not specifically calling anybody out but I just this has happened multiple times there are people who think their marriage is amazing and that's great I like my marriage too and there are people who think their marriage is amazing and because they think their marriage is amazing uh, they think everybody else has a bad marriage and so they go around and critique everybody's marriages and make it their responsibility to go around and tell everybody else how to be married, uninvited, how to be married. And I've had people who have come to me and said, listen, I don't like the way you're treating Dana on certain things. And, and give me a whole list of things that I need to do better to treat Dana in that way. And give me a bunch of practical advice. The problem is, hear, hear me on this, here's the problem. When I ask Dana if she has a problem with any of those things, she doesn't. And 
And here's, here's where it really comes down to. Often what takes place is we think there's a formula for a good marriage. And everybody needs to follow the same formula that we're following. Now, if people really like formulas, they get extremely frustrated when they come to get counseling from me. Let me just give you a warning. I've had this happen often. If people really like formulas, I'm the worst counselor of all. And let me tell you why. Because I have people come to me and who like my marriage. There's some who hate it and some who like it. I happen to love Dana. Whether my marriage is good or not, I love her and she loves me. And we're committed to one another. And I have people who will come and say, hey, I like your marriage. I think it's great. Will you tell me what do you do to have that kind of marriage? It's kind of the reverse side of people who don't think. I mean, that just shows some people think I got a great one. Some people think I don't. And inside of that, I refuse. I refuse. Why? Because I don't think it's helpful. And I think that people are longing for formulas. I refuse to tell them a list of things that I do. Imagine this. I, I tell them, hey, look, one thing that we've done all of our marriage. Here's something we've done. And many of you know this because you've helped us watch our kids or you've heard me talk. Dana and I go out on dates every week. Or let me just put it this way. Every week, unless something else comes that is extremely important. But every week we make it a part of our lives that we go out on a date. Could you imagine if I look at him and say, listen, here's what you need to do. You need to go on a date every week. And then they come back to me and say, pastor, it doesn't work. I've dated them, I've dated them, I've dated them, and I still can't stand them. I've gone out on three dates, and I hate them more than I did before. Okay, here's what you need to do. Have you bought them flowers? Oh, that's what I'm missing, doggone it. Come back three weeks later, pastor, I've bought him flowers three weeks in a row, and I still can't stand them. Oh, 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 here you go. Have you told her that she's beautiful? Three weeks later, come back. Pastor, I've told her she's beautiful three times, and I still think she's ugly. Oh, oh, here's what it is. Here's what I want you to do. Sit and listen to her. Three weeks later, they come back. Pastor, I sat and listened four hours straight, three weeks in a row, and I still don't care what she's saying. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. Every day, do something nice for her. Every day, do this. Every week, do this. Buy her this. Tell her that. Let me give you all the practical advice that I can and all along ignoring the fact that you don't love her as Christ loves the church. And all along ignoring the fact that all of these behaviors, all these thoughts, all these things that are coming out of you is a revelation that your heart is sick. 
and you don't know the healing and restorative power and the work of God in his heart and you are prideful and you haven't forgiven her and you haven't cleansed her and forgiven and, and protected her and all along you're trying to find a formula to hide it behind so you can say you're a good husband and ignore the reality that your heart is sick. Listen, formulas are man-made remedies to hide behind so you never have to deal with the realities of your heart. I hate formulas. Why? Because if a man tells me, how is it that I need to love my Wife, what do I need to do? And I give him a bunch of formulas. Here's what I've done. I've cheated him of the reality that loving your wife means you need to get to know her like I know my wife. And if I tell you what to do that I do for my wife, you'll still miss the reality that you don't know your wife. That you need to die to yourself and you need to love her like Christ loves the church. And the closer that you get to her and the more ugly things that come out, the more beautiful she should become. Because you're seeing more of the reality of the brokenness of her life. A wife comes and says, how is it that I need to submission? What tell, just tell me a list of what submission looks like. Give me a formula for submission because I don't actually respect her. Can you see how the formulas that are created by man actually keep us away from the heart of God? Can you see the religious formulas that we create actually keep us away from the heart of God? And you've seen this in religion as it gone through all of the, the phases of history. You've seen this take place. I mean, the way that we look, there's still so many people who hold to old traditions and formulas all the while ignoring the realities of the heart. So why is Jesus rebelling against these formulas? Why is he coming to this? Because what he shows us is we're seeing a perverted religion and we're ignoring the evils of the heart. And what we need to do is understand that Sabbath is a good and glorious gift that's given to us by God. And it wasn't designed to be a religious burden. Let's think about this for a moment. Let's think about this for a moment. How many of us look at the reading of Scripture as a religious burden rather than the ability to hear the voice of God through His Word? There's so many people that I know who say, I know why I'm off in my life. I know why I'm not experiencing blessing. I know why I'm not getting all of the things that I want to get. Here's the reason why, Pastor. I know why. I haven't been reading my Bible. Unknowingly, you've taken Scripture and made it a formula rather than the reality that getting into God's Word, you get to know His heart and hear His voice. Isn't that beautiful? You've taken a gift, His Word, and made it a burden. How many of us have taken prayer and made it a formula? I need to, look at this. 
Now, I'm not saying these things can't be helpful, but they go, here's what prayer looks like. I just do this with my thumb and petition and pray and I, 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 I request and I do this. Okay, I prayed all the while you did all the formulas of prayer and you never spoke with God and heard his voice. You just fulfilled a checklist. Why? Because for you to come before him in prayer, completely stripped down and exposed before him, and seeing his heart for you and your heart before him and, and, and wrestling with it and, and saying, God, I want to hear your voice and know who you are. Here's where the state of my heart is. Here's what I'm not believing. Here's the things I'm wrestling. It takes too much time. It's so much easier to just do my five steps of prayer. Here's, here's what I think needs to take place as we hear texts like this. One, we need to ask ourselves this question. Through the reading of this, do we see Jesus bursting into our world? Do we see Jesus, the king, coming into our world and his kingdom challenging our kingdom? Do we see Jesus coming into our systems and his kingdom coming in and challenging our system? Isn't it amazing that Jesus never challenges the things that you're doing or the Jesus you've fashioned? And if, if he's not, church, hear me this. You've created a God that you want to worship rather than King Jesus coming in and destroying the systems of our lives and this world. Can you see through this text how not only Jesus is bursting in and his kingdom is challenging the kingdoms of this world, but he's challenged the kingdoms of our world and our lives. Secondly is this. Are there ways that you are missing God's healing and restorative work because you're hiding behind a list of rules are there ways in your life that you are missing God's healing and restorative work because you're hiding behind a list of rules and isn't it amazing that every list and formula we make is like the Pharisees where we pick things that we can do in order to ignore the evil of our hearts. We pick things that we can do in order to ignore the evil of our hearts. Oh, I can do this every day. I can do this. I can attend church. I can do these things. And all these things are good, but we pick all of these things as the sign of our faith rather than letting His Spirit Address our hearts and bring restoration and healing. The last thing is this, as we come to the table and enter into worship, I want to ask us this question. How can we recapture the rhythm of Sabbath in our world? Because in our world, 
there's a demand for us to work, 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 work. And how can we recapture a rhythm of Sabbath where we're resting in Christ, where we're worshiping and reflecting Him in our lives, in community, but we're not doing it as a list of legalistic rules, but as a gift that God's given to us? How can we recapture prayer and not just let it be a list of rules, but let it be something in which we have been given by God to communicate with Him? How can we recapture the study and the listening of God's Word where it's not just a list of legalistic rules, but it's a way for us to relate with the God of this world, to see His face? How can we recapture the gifts God has given to us without turning them into a formula and a list of rules? How can we get to the essence of this? Do you love Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Is Jesus king? Are you submitted to him? Father, I pray today, as we come to this table, that your heart would be revealed to us. Father, that we would see it's not by my works that I get to drink of this cup and eat of this bread. It's because of the work that you've accomplished in me. You've done the work. Father, let, as I come to this table, let it be ringing in my heart and mind that it's because of your body and blood that I get to be in relationship with you. Spirit of God, reveal to us again the work that you've done in our hearts. Church, as you come to this table, don't let it just be a, a rule that we need to follow. Let's recapture the essence of what communion is all about. It is setting our hearts and mind. It's remembering how much God loves us, so much so that he gave his life so that we could be restored and healed. And that by coming and drinking and eating, we're affirming our covenant and commitment that He is the King of our lives and that we submit our lives to Him. And what we need is His work and trusting in His work. So as you come up these center aisles, as the band sings, could this not just be a time of a song, but could be a time of worship? Let's respond to this with all of our hearts. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.